0: High summer in the Canadian West or the Pacific Northwest, depending on your outlook, is a glorious season. It's a quiet time to relax in the sun, read back issues of your ham magazines, or comb through catalogs and websites to contemplate new gear for the shack, maybe a new coax or antenna, and it's a time to catch up on the little jobs you put off last spring and the crazy belief that you'll have all summer to get them done. Let's get going with episode 21, the summer potpourri edition of Zone Zero. I a lot. for are here also. Four, three, two, you are listening to Zone 000. Zone 000. A three-month hiatus since the last episode has been pretty full around the VA7ST household. We've flown across the country and back. We've been salmon fishing out in the Pacific. We enjoyed a great time at the 2018 Pacific Northwest DX convention, and we put in quite a bit of time listening on six meters while hiding from the summer heat and the wildfire smoke outside. Here in southern BC, for the second fire season in a row, we've had some pretty serious wildfires in the area, and smoke is horrendous. It's hanging low over the valley, marring any view. It cloys at your lungs, and it pretty much makes things dark and miserable. Outside the shack window right now, I'm looking through the pine forest on our lower property, and I cannot see the valley beyond. Tall ponderosa pines and Douglas fir trees a few hundred feet from us, they look like ghosted ship's masts, just discernible through the haze. And the sunlight filtering through it gives everything an amber tint that's actually quite pretty as long as it's only temporary. For the past couple of days around our part of the country, the smoke has been too thick for the sun to heat things during the daytime, so temperatures have dropped from 100 Fahrenheit to 68 Fahrenheit, making for great sleeping at night when it falls even lower to 55 Fahrenheit. But for several weeks, those 100 degree days, along with the dense smoke, have made working outside a bit too uncomfortable, so we found other things to do, or to think about doing, while doing nothing. It is, after all, summer. In June we celebrated our son Dan's graduation from the University of British Columbia and the next day we got on a plane and flew to Ottawa, Ontario, where our eldest son Andrew graduated from law school. Life goes on and now that the lads are done with school for now, I feel like I'm about to have a whole bunch of spare time and a few more bucks to pretend I'm not spending on ham radio. For the AWRL field day this year, I hooked up three car batteries and two 40 watt solar panels on the back lawn and operated QRP. I found an auto-wrecker that sells refurbished 12-volt car batteries for 15 a apiece, and they're in good shape for the very intermittent use that I have for them. The system charged up with the 80-watt array and kept me going well into the evening the first night, and the next morning, even early sunlight helped keep ahead of the current draw. For the record, the two 40-watt panels are simple Coleman-branded items, and they came as a two-pack with a 7-amp charge controllers from one of the great sources for all sundry items, Canadian Tire. I saw their late summer flyer this afternoon, and they're selling a two-pack of 100-watt solar panels for just 350 bucks. and that's about half the price that a single 100-watt panel sells for during the rest of the year. So if I was serious about building an off-grid radio station, now would be the time for adding a little bit more solar oomph. So that was field day in June. In July, I took a break to go salmon fishing with my brother Matt, who has a great salmon boat in what must be the world's salmon fishing capital, Souk, B.C. We came back empty-handed, but still ended up enjoying some incredible meals of salmon that he caught earlier in the week, and we had fresh crab hauled up on our way back into the harbour. What a luxury to have access to free salmon fishing, even if it means Matt is the captain. He took a group out the day after we left and caught four 20-pounders in the first half hour and another seven fish as the morning flowed on. Just like amateur radio contesting, you have to be at the right place at the right time, I guess. But summer won't last forever, and in August, the thoughts of any dyed-in-the-wool contester turn to September's, and the onset of the fall contest season. For me, the contest season batteries got recharged by attending the 63rd annual Pacific Northwest DX convention, and it was hosted this year in New Westminster, BC, which is just adjacent to Vancouver. I hadn't seen the gang in person since the last convention in Vancouver back in 2014, and it was a great meetup. And if I can swing it next August, I plan to get down to Everett, Washington, just north of Seattle, for the 2019 convention, which will be hosted by the Western Washington DX Club. I have to give congratulations to the Willamette Valley DX Club on winning the Pacific Northwest Cup. This is the second straight year the Willamette Club has won the Traveling Trophy, which goes to the club in the Pacific Northwest with the highest combined score over 10 major contests every year. And those include things like the CQ Worldwide DX Ritty, SSB and CW contests, the AWRL Ritty Roundup, the CQWPX RITI, the ARRL-DX-CW and SSB contests, and the Weird Prefix Sideband and CW contests, as well as the IARU World HF Championship in July. The Willamette Club has a tremendously active contest community. President Mike W7VO tells me that they emphasize getting on the air and having fun, and getting new contesters keen on radio sport. And their results show the wisdom of that approach, they finished this year in July with 74.8 million points, ahead of the Western Washington Club, which had 46.9 million, and Orca DX and Contest Club, which had 27.9 million points. For several years in a row, the traveling trophy was won by the Orchid DX and Contest Club here in BC, but things have changed with some of our largest and most active stations falling into abeyance due to people moving away and other factors. I love to contribute my scores, and we do have some long-time contesters returning to the sport this year, so watch out, Willamette Valley. We may be nipping at your heels again this year. It was great to see Ward, n 0 Alpha ray to hear his presentation on Ham Radio 2.0. It's all about embracing change, welcoming the technological advances, and innovating in our avocation. In fact, I had a super two days seeing the guys and the gals and I've been working those people in contests for years, but some of them I've never met. I sure appreciate those close-in 80-meter and 160-meter contacts from stations down in Washington and Oregon, and now I have a better appreciation for who I'm running across at 3 a.m. making contacts on those frigid cold winter mornings. I also had a chance to play around with some of the newer transceivers. The ICOM IC7610 looks like a real winner, and so does the Sun SDR MB1. It's a new software-defined radio that I thought, on first glance, was a souped-up Flex 6400 radio with a Maestro front end. But it turned out to be a new HF plus 6-meter and 2-meter SDR transceiver built by Expert Electronics, a Russian manufacturer, and is sold to North America by NSI Communications. If you have somewhere between 3000 and 6000 bucks to spend on a radio, you've got more choices than ever for contest-grade equipment to fill the operating bench. I've fallen in love with SDR technology, especially radios with the SDR horsepower, but with real knobs and buttons. The Flex 6400M, the IC7610, the new MB1, they're all on my if-only wish list to upgrade the contest capabilities here at VA7ST, but for now new radios are a little bit out of reach for me. So I'll keep wishing, and I'll continue to get by with the venerable Yaesu FT2000 and the little IC7100. But one day, one day. Well, at this time of year, contest weekends are pretty slim. There are a few smaller events, such as the Russian Worldwide Ritty contest on September 1st, and the always fun Washington State Salmon Run September 15th and 16th, and the Bartig 75 Baud Sprint on September 16th. But the main event on the horizon is CQ Worldwide Ritty. That's on September 29th and 30th. It's really the kickoff to the fall contest season for many and this year will be a real challenge for everyone. As I sit here on August 17th, solar flux is parked at 68, and there are no sunspots at all. The high bands 20 meters and up are soft, and I expect we'll see plenty of intercontinental contacts on 20 meters at the end of September, and cross-continent action on 15, but don't expect much more than some sporadic spotlight propagation on 10 meters at this point in the solar cycle. For those of us who like to run a little bit of power in the teletype contests, Now is the time to give the amplifier a once-over. I've said it before, but the best way to smoke test an amp is to run it in a RITI contest. For the annual contest season burn-in, I usually use the Russian RITI contest at the beginning of September. But I already know my main amplifier needs some work. One of the 3500Z tubes is dark, and I suspect the tube socket needs a bit of attention. And my backup amplifier is suddenly showing problems with no power output on 80 meters. There, I suspect, the tuning input network has blown a 500 picofarad uh, capacitor, and apparently that's not uncommon for SB220 amplifiers. So, those are my top priority bench projects between now and contest season. On the immediate horizon, just for fun, I plan to enter the coming weekend's Sartag Worldwide RITI contest that's sponsored by the Scandinavia Amateur Radio Teleprinter Group, and it runs in three eight-hour segments starting at 0000 hours Zulu tonight, that's Friday afternoon here in BC, with eight-hour breaks between each segment. The Sartag-Riti exchange is RST and a serial number. Now, contacts with your own country are worth five points, contacts with other countries on your own continent are worth 10 points, and you get 15 points for intercontinental QSOs. So, Knowing the majority of my QSOs will be with U.S. stations, I guess Canadians have an advantage in North America for this contest. The multipliers are each DXCC country you work on each band, along with each call area in the U.S., Canada, Japan, and Australia. Those call area malts are valuable on each band, so the key is going to be operating at strategic times to maximize your access to various parts of the world across the bands. Fortunately, the 8-hour segments cover the full 24-hour clock over two days, so all bands and all parts of the world should be accessible at one point or another. Looking at the past 16 years of this contest, I'm expecting to make about 160 contacts, mostly in North America, but also into Japan on 20 meters. My best score was in 2011 when I managed 379 contacts and 134 multipliers. I ran high power back then, and I sat out last year's 2017 event, but the year before, in 2016, running 100 watts, I had just 153 contacts and 68 multipliers. That's about where I expect to land this weekend running low power until I have a chance to get into those amplifiers. The following weekend, August 25 and 26, you'll find the Slovenia Contest Club's SCC Ritty Championship as well. It's a 24 hour event, and notably, your entry logs need to be submitted within 48 hours of the contest's end at 1200 Zulu on Sunday, August 26th. I usually end up with 150 or so contacts in this one as well. Participation can be a bit thin on the lower bands, but at this point in the solar cycle, 20 meters should produce plenty of action as the summer begins to wind down. And then we go up in frequency. A little further out on the calendar, I'm looking forward to putting the 6 meter and two meter Yagi's to the test in the ARRL September VHF contest. That's September 8th through 10th. I'll enter the single operator low power category, as the IC7100 radio I use for VHF only puts out 100 watts on 6 meters and 50 watts on 2 meters. I've never made more than a handful of contacts in the VHF contests, but new modes, specifically FT8, have re-energized all the bands, and I predict 6 meters will be alive with FT8 stations to work in the September VHF contest. I expect 50.313 MHz to be pretty busy. These days, when the band is open to anywhere from here, you can really work a lot of stations using FT8. The exchange in this contest is your grid square, and it's a great way to boost your grid totals if you're chasing grid-based awards, such as the ARRL Fred Fish Memorial Award. And if you think 6 meters is a wasteland, think again. Even when there's no Eskip propagation, you can go to Pingjockey online and see if anyone within 900 miles or so is running meteor scatter. This uses MSK144 mode, typically with 15-second transmit receive cycles, much like FT8. Now I use WSJT-X as my software for meteor scatter. You can load that software and set your transceiver to the meteor scatter calling frequency of 50.260 MHz and just listen. I've made contacts out to nearly 900 miles this summer with three meteor scatter QSOs during the Perseid meteor shower earlier this week. The August meeting of the Stanford University Radio Club, W6YX, concluded with a meteor scatter demo earlier this week, taking advantage of the trailing edge of the Perseid meteor shower which had ended the previous day. I managed to work the W6YX team in Palo Alto at around 11pm, pointing due south at them on 6 metres. Meteor Scatter works well on 2 metres as well, by tuning to 144.150 MHz, my little 8-element 2-metre Yagi has heard stations as far south of BC as Las Vegas. Give it a try, you never know who you're going to work, and it's such a blast to hear stations pinging off ionized meteor trails overhead. That's it for episode 21 of Zone Zero, the summer potpourri edition. Remember, you'll find links to various online resources in the show notes. And those are easy to get to. Just go to zone.va7st.ca. Now, let's go get them. I'll see you out there.